0: Welcome to the Refuge Weekly Podcast. We are a church in and for the City of Orange in Southern California. The heart of Refuge OC is to introduce and reintroduce people to a clearer vision of God. To learn more about us and how you can get involved, please visit us at refugeoc.com. And now, here is our latest message. well done. I don't know if they're excited to hear the word. We'll see. No, no, yes. Pipe down, pipe down. Um, I was with someone else, a part of our, our crowd yesterday, and uh, that person asked me, hey, is there anybody uh, special that's speaking tomorrow at church? And I was like, no, it's actually just me. And they're like, okay, then I'm not missing much. I won't be there. And you're like, whoa, I guess we'll get honest with each other. Now that we're there, let me tell you a few things. No, I'm just kidding. Hey, uh, welcome to church. If you have a Bible, whether it looks like this, not necessarily blue on the outside, but if you have one that pages, you can turn to John chapter 18. But if you have a phone that has an app that's really cool and connected to the Bible, you can turn to John 18 as well. And so again, it is Christ the King Sunday. And before we jump into the space where we lean into Advent and the approach of Christmas and the hope that is there... This is our final Sunday of the year, and it's a fascinating story that will be told here in the book of John. It is a story when Jesus is about to be put to death, and you're like, why in the world would we want to do that? Aren't we supposed to be like warm and cozy, thinking about Jesus being born in Bethlehem and shepherds in the fields and angels out there in the sky? Why why aren't we talking about those kinds of things? And I think there's something about the approach towards death as well as the approach towards life. Because each of us, in various places in our lives, in various times of our lives, I bet even this past week there has been moments for you where you have been veered towards death and even veered towards life. And it's different, maybe even in the same day. So as we read this passage, I'm going to read it real quick and then kind of draw a few things out that I've found this week, if you'll join me. So we're going to begin the story. We're going to drop right in at verse 33. So John 18, verse 33. This is the moment, again, right where Jesus is about to be put to death, and he's in trial with Pontius Pilate, the governor of the area who's in charge. So Pilate then went back inside the palace and summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replies, "Uh, Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied, your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? And Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. And Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. In fact, The reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And that's where our our reading ends. That's where the lectionary tells us we're supposed to read today. If you were to read just a half a verse more, you would get this question from Pilate. And he says, well, what is truth? What is truth? This idea that Jesus is king, what do we do with this storyline? And it's windy and dry and hot outside, but on Wednesday night, it was cold, and I wanted to be inside, but I was on the soccer field. This is where I began my night. Soccer field because it was my daughter's championship night. Her team and the other team got to the end of the season. They called this the city tournament. In reality, they are the only two teams in their category in the city. So they were bound to meet regardless of the outcome of the entire season. It was fascinating. So we're there. We're hoping we've seen those girls before. We've seen them. We're going to go into this thing. We've got a better record. Everyone knows it. And we just hope upon hope that it's going to work out for us. You know, us. Not them, us. And so that night, the coaches is revving them up. Like, our team is pumped. They are ready to make this soccer night happen. And uh, so we go into, and I was corrected by a soccer player, I called it the first period, and they're like, it's not, it's a half, okay, it's the first half, don't you know anything? You're like, okay, calm down, all right? At least we're going for field goals, right? Oh, no? Oh, not this sport? Okay, anyway, so... First half happens in the soccer game. Score is 0-0. It was a defensive battle. And it's fascinating to watch these girls who are just going at it. Most of the time they're playing on Saturday mornings where it's too hot. And now we're playing on a Wednesday night where it's cold and frigid. And they've got like the little warmer pockets that they're like, they can't wait to be called off the field. They're
1: like, yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: sub, please. (laughs) I'm gonna warm my hands. And then they go back out and it's okay. So second half happens and the score is 0-0. And you know what that means? You cannot end the city tournament between the last two teams, the only two teams in the city, with a tie, you must go to overtime. And overtime happened, and it was another 10-minute period. and 10-minute thing. And um, <laughs> there you go. And it ended in 0-0. Zero, zero. And you know what that means? <laughs> Penalty kicks. Some people would say, like, sudden death, if you will. So they choose their five. We choose our five. The, uh, the, the ump, the ref, the ump, excuse me, wrong sport, the ref counts out the spaces needed between the kick and the goal, gives a little pep talk to the five girls on this side, five girls on this side, they're about to shoot it out, it's a great shootout, you should have seen the parents just get up from the sidelines, have you ever seen parents get crazy at a game, anybody, okay, maybe some of you are those parents, I get it. So we're at this game, we're like frigid, we're like doing this, and we're cold, and we like the girls, like we don't even know how they're making it in their shorts and like short sleeves. We're like, ha, this is why we're not playing tonight. That's so good. It's so fun to watch you. And they're out there, they're ready to go, five and five. So our seemingly best player comes out, and she is, she's really good. She gets out there, she shoots, and she scores. And we're like, we got this. It's so easy. Their best player. Who is their goalie, comes back out and we're like, oh man, there's no way that this girl is going to miss. So she shoots and it hits the posts and you're like, yeah, right? And then we're like, oh, the other four girls have to kick? I thought we were just like (laughs) one and nothing, right? That's okay. Guess we're doing this, right? So the next girl comes out on our team and she makes it. We're up. Next girl on their team goes, she makes it. So now we're up 2-1, still feeling pretty good about ourselves, if you ask me. Our next person comes out, she misses. Their next person comes out, makes it, tied 2-2. Next person on our team misses. Next person on their team goes out, and now it's 3-2, them. We, petrified and cold. It's a cold night, scared. So their their fifth player comes out, misses. The drama. ESPN was there. It was amazing. Our final player comes out. I don't even know what happens if you tie in penalty kicks. But the hope was like, at least get to 3-3, and then we can just call it a night, right? Doesn't that that be it? Like, I don't know. What happens? So our player comes out, and as you can probably figure out from my tone, our player doesn't make it. So we end the night 3-2. The beginning of the night, we were full of life. At the end of the night, we were veering towards death. I know I'm dramatic, but it works for where I'm heading, okay? There are days for us that are, at the beginning, so great, and then there are days something has happened, and it's so hard. It could be the death of someone that is close to us in our family, and we veer towards death and all that that happens in us in terms of how that shapes the way that we see the week. It's different because of things like that. It's different when relationships are bad, and we want to live with the hope that we talk about and profess when it comes to Jesus, but what is it that we do when we are veered towards the things of death? I had to talk to a friend this week, and he I was on the phone with him, and he says, oh, we on the—you um, know last week we had a pregnancy scare, and part of me was like, now I know what you've been up to. Um, and they, they're married, by the way, and they've had, they've had kids. And uh, he's like, I was so excited, and my wife was not. I was like, okay. Like, I mean, I know you have your oldest child, and then you have twins. Like, they had twins, right? Like, no joke there. He's like, I wanted, I wanted another baby. I just remember, like, missing the hold of uh, the little baby. They're so cute and everything like that. But then he told me, he goes, after talking to my wife, and she was not excited about the pregnancy scare, I said, why? Well, because there's a pattern in her life, because she's had four pregnancies. First was a miscarriage, and then their oldest child. Then a miscarriage, and then the birth of the twins. And for her, she's scared that it's going to be the same process if she were to get pregnant again. And so it's different when you approach life, and it's different when you approach death. And When we read a passage like this and Jesus is about to be crucified and he's on trial with Pilate and Pilate is going back out to the Jewish leaders asking them questions and he comes back into the Jewish palace, not even the Jewish palace, excuse me, the Roman palace where where Pilate is in charge and he's questioning Jesus. It's not easy for us to just quickly jump into the space of Advent and Christmas with the hope that's coming when it's actually the reality of death that's right before us, when we listen to the words that are expressed in exchange between Pilate and Jesus on that day. So if we can, I'm going to grab the scriptures again. If you've got your Bible, I want to go through these one more time with you. Because I think there's just so much happening in this passage that I don't want to miss before we jump into Advent next week. So when Pilate went back into the palace, he summoned Jesus, and he asked him, are you king of the Jews? And Pilate should have known by then, something that we have known as we've watched Jesus throughout the Gospels, is that when you ask Jesus a question, he is more often than not going to respond with a question, and it's very frustrating. Have you, have you ever been around people like this? I feel like you're always talking to Yoda, right? Like, I don't even know, and Jesus is just like, it's like verbal judo, and he does it. He does his thing, and, and Pilate wants to put him on. Like, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus is like, has someone told you that? And you're like, just give me the straight answer, would you? That's what Pilate is saying, and, and Jesus is, is that your own idea, or did others talk to you about me? And Pilate gets frustrated. He wants to get rid of the situation. He actually doesn't even want to put Jesus to death, if he were to be honest with us. He says, am I a Jew? Your own people, your chief priest handed you over to me. What is it you have done? And Jesus says this crazy phrase, and I'm going to mess something up for some of you, perhaps some of you who have purchased clothing. And here's what I mean by that. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. This is the translation that we're reading today that's on the screen, perhaps in your Bibles, but that is not an appropriate reading of the translation from the original Greek because it makes Jesus sound like a crazy man when he says, my kingdom is not of this world. It's somewhere else, which doesn't help us because it always seems like, oh, it's, it's over there. I can never get there. Maybe when I die, I get to go there, but it doesn't seem like it affects my everyday life. But an actual better understanding of the reading what Jesus would have said in Greek that day is my kingdom is not made of the stuff of this world. Because he knows what kingdoms look like. Just as much as Pilate does. Pilate is their proxy from the king in Rome, the emperor in Rome. He is ruling on behalf of the emperor. And he knows very well the history of the area, much like you and I probably do if we remember some of our Wikipedia searches late at night. If you remember, a couple of hundred years before Jesus is on the scene, there was a Maccabean revolt by a guy named Judas Maccabeus. Crazy name, I know it. But if some of you have friends who light the menorah at Hanukkah time, you remember this time period in the life? It's going to come in just a few weeks. You're going to have friends, you're going to see in the windows, you're going to see it happening. And it's not just a cute display of light It's an actual moment because Judas Maccabeus was so upset that in the temple in Jerusalem, it was being desecrated by pagans, and he wanted to clean it out. And so he leads this Jewish revolt. We've got to fix everything that's happening in the temple. And they were without oil enough for more than one night, and miraculously it lasted. But the only reason because Judas Maccabeus becomes king is because of revolt and revolution Pilate knows this, and so does Jesus. We know stories about kings and queens. There's even kings and queens in our day right now, but they're not the kinds of kings and queens that existed hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago. We see things like constitutional monarchies. If you go to England today, you could probably stand outside, sit outside of Buckingham Palace, and maybe perhaps you would see the monarch come from within the walls of the palace. But it's not the same as it was back then. Everything rose and falled, fell, excuse me. Bad use of the word. Everything rose and fell on the actions of the monarch. You could be quickly dispensed with if you weren't of any use. But people also knew quite well the way that you became a king or a queen. You either were in the bloodline, you either were in the family line to get to become king or queen. Or you became king or queen because of revolution and revolt. Much like what Judas Maccabeus did with the fellow Jews that day. But if you also remember the story that happens about 30 years before Jesus is on the scene. There's another guy named King of the Jews and his name was Herod the Great. And Herod had built a kingdom because he had actually squashed something that happened next door to the kingdom of Israel at the time he squashed a rebellion, and Rome loved him so much that they let him become king of the area over Jerusalem and Galilee. And they named him king of the Jews, which was actually a bad bad moniker for him because he wasn't purely Jewish. He was half-Jew, and every Jewish person let him know that. You might be king of this area, but you're not really a Jew. But he ruled by force. He ruled by killing people. He ruled ruthlessly. This is what kings look like. This is what kings have always looked like. You even watch these kinds of shows like I do on TV. And we know what it. You can look at Game of Thrones. You can look at anything that happens, like even, even the world of the Vikings and et cetera. It is a world that is, that is known by its death and revolution and violence. That's what kings look like. So when Pilate jumps into that space and says to Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus does his verbal judo and asks a question. And then he responds eventually. He says, my kingdom is not made of the stuff of this world. That's a big difference. Because I bet Pontius Pilate was like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Because the only kind of kings that I understand are the ones that are in charge and they rule by force. And Jesus is like, that's not how my kingdom is. It doesn't mean that it's not of this world, it's somewhere else. But it actually means that it's for this world, even though it's not made of the stuff of this world. It's a huge difference when it comes to what Jesus is talking about. In verse 37, you're a king then, said Pilate. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. And everyone on the side of the truth listens to me. I am captivated by these words because sometimes they seem a little esoterical, a little bit out there, like I don't even know what you're talking about, Jesus, when you talk philosophically like this. But Jesus says, my kingdom, which is not made of the stuff of the world but is for this world, is made for truth. And if we understand anything about Jesus and his life and death and resurrection and everything gets told in these pages of the Bible, express a different kind of king than Pontius Pilate served, or any other king that we've heard about in history. What's that kingdom mean? What does it mean that it's Christ the King Sunday? Is it more than just something that we talk about and say and we're supposed to worship and talk about at church? What does it mean that Jesus is king? Because some of us want Jesus to be the revolutionary that comes in and just wipes out our enemies. Wouldn't it be nice if he did that? Wouldn't it be nice if Jesus thought about the people that live on our street the same way that we do? It would be fun to really get him on our side. Yeah, 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 don't you see how they act or things that they say? Jesus, can't you get mad at them? And when Jesus says the things to Pilate, he's actually saying the same kinds of things to us. Because you and I have been taught the tactics of this world, and the tactics of this world is we want to cancel people, we want to hate people, we want to push people away, And Jesus is teaching us a different way and a different kingdom. So when we open up these pages and these scripture verses, before we head into the hope of Advent, we must face the death that's before us. Not just the death of Jesus so far long ago, but also the death in our own lives, the pain that approaches quickly, and the question for each of us is, what do I do with that? What do I do with the pain that comes quickly, the change of reality, the change of the norm? the things that I'm so scared about. And Jesus says, would you consider my kingdom? I will act differently than Pilate. I will do things differently than the emperor in Rome. I will not act like your president. I will not act like you think I should. But the kingdom that I come with is a kingdom that's not made of the stuff of the world nor sustained by it. It's a kingdom of love. It's a kingdom of truth. It's a kingdom that expresses the value that every person has. But it is also a kingdom that cannot do anything but bring hope. Because if we're honest with ourselves, it's not a great place right now. This is hard. If we're honest, we could list a million things that are wrong. And that might just be your list, the things that you have been so frustrated about or you burdened by. And you've wondered, has God fallen asleep? Is he even aware? Does he know what's going on? Or does it just feel like a soccer game that gets to the end and you lose on penalty kicks? Is that how it's going to go? My daughter ended that night very, very disheveled. It's almost as if the world had ended until I think she got in and out later that night and then everything changed and her countenance was revived. And then the next morning, I don't even think she remembered the game because she had plans that day. She lives for that. She lives for the next thing that's coming. She's a lot like her father. But she lives with the hope that there's going to be something new in the midst of the things that we've experienced. And there's a bit of that when it comes to Jesus, who says to us time and time again, I know what has happened. I know what you've been told. I know the experiences that have have, have occurred in your life. But understand, those might exist in the world that you know and you live in, but I want to do your best to experience the kingdom that is coming. The kingdom that is bent completely toward righteousness and justice and hope and truth. That is the kingdom that is worth following. That is the kingdom that we need in our life today. And my hope is that as you even enjoy different company this week, as you gather in whatever form, whatever day, whatever time it is, may you experience the King. And you experience the king and his righteousness and his justice and his love and his truth because I am convinced it will change you just like it has changed me. But more importantly, it will change the world. That's the hope that we have with the king who's on the throne today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need you now more than ever. And our world seems tired and broken and sometimes unfixable. There's pain that is all too real that easily surrounds us. And we wonder how is it that we're going to make it through today, let alone tomorrow. So Holy Father, would you meet us where we're at in our brokenness? Would you revive us and give us strength for tomorrow? And give us the ability to know that we don't walk alone, that we walk with you. That you are the king who doesn't act like the kings of this world. You are the king who has never existed like the ones we have read about in our history books. You are the kind of king that does things differently, and that's exactly what we need today. We proclaim you king yet again, and may you be king over our lives and in this world. And it's in your name we pray, amen i want to give you a chance to stand and worship with our worship team one final time this morning.
1: You didn't want heaven without us. So Jesus, you brought heaven down. My sin was great, your love was great.
0: I wonder what the uh, phrases that caught your attention in that song, that it's his kingdom. But for me, the one is that you have no rival because there is a difference about Jesus than any other king we've ever heard about or seen or read about. There's something different about him. This past week, um, I'm filled with stories of things that happen in my life, the people that I'm connected to. Last night, I got a text from a friend who asked for prayer because he was taking his son to the ER because his son, who's in high school, felt um, suicidal. And he's just like, I need prayer. So I, I said, of course. And I've been praying all night and I wake up this morning, I'm like, hey, how's it going? And he goes, oh, it's just been a really tough, tough night, but he was, he's in the hospital, he's safe. I'm gonna go pick him up this morning. And he literally says, he just needs Jesus. He needs Jesus to remind him of how he is loved. And that's the kind of king that we're talking about. I don't know what you're facing, if it's that dire, but man, we would love to stand with you as a church. Whatever you're facing, because there is Jesus who has no rival, who is king of kings, who is proclaiming his love for the world and wants to continue to do it. May you take the news of that Jesus with you today wherever you go. So peace be with you. And have a great Thanksgiving week wherever and however you celebrate. We'll see you next Sunday as the new year begins with Advent. So peace be with you. Thank you for joining us this week. We believe in community and would love to connect with you. If you have any questions or would like to speak to a pastor, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram at refugechurchoc. We hope to see you again soon.